Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This is Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat, a weekly podcast on happiness and work culture. Hi, this is Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat. This is Bruce Daisley. It's a podcast about improving work and being happier in our jobs. Now, while my time at the top of the Apple podcast chart is now in the past, there have been small victories this week. I'm number 67 in the business charts in Malta, 76 in Romania. So today's episode is dedicated to the people in Valletta and Bucharest. I won't let you down. If you listened last week, you'll know that the audio from the Culture 2.0 event was all resting in the hands of Alan on the sound desk. There was a hashtag, pray for Alan. Alan received the memory stick from me, uh, but couldn't save anything from it, which beggars belief, doesn't it? I'm already over it. I don't blame Alan, even though it is totally and utterly his fault. Don't worry. Not only did we have Dan Cable last week on the show sharing some of his wisdom, but next week we've got one of the other best presenters from the event, Ben Weber, who's the CEO of Humanize. Now, today's episode, halfway through the first series of these, someone contacted me and asked about remote working. And that's remote working rather than flexible working. So this is people working from somewhere else all the time, not doing a day waiting for the washing machine man. There's a wonderful guy, Jake, who works at Twitter with me. And he told me that everyone at his last job worked remotely. And it was really, really lonely. So I was interested in understanding a bit more about remote working. And there were two people that I wanted to talk to. I chatted to Jason Freed, who's the CEO of Basecamp, and that's like a a web software company. And he's also the author of two very readable business books, Rework and Remote. Basecamp are based in Chicago, but anyone who works there can work remotely. Secondly, I also spoke to Deborah Ripple. Deborah is People Success Manager at Buffer. I'll introduce Deborah properly in a moment, but let's start with Jason. I actually read Jason's book, Rework, about five years ago. It's like a series of 50 angry, polemic articles challenging the way we we work today. And I was interested in asking about Basecamp, about how they'd reached the stage, because they're a fascinating organisation. They they have an office, but anyone can work anywhere. I kicked off chatting to Jason. He explained to me that one of the problems with most offices is people just can't get anything done. Most work environments don't allow people to actually do that. And so... What they end up having to do is they end up having to work late nights or really early mornings or on the weekends because that's the only time they have uninterrupted stretches of time to get work done. Their work days, which is what they're being paid for, have been shattered into you know dozens of moments. There's no more work day. There's work moments. You've got like 15 minutes here and 30 minutes there and 45 minutes there, maybe an hour if you're lucky here and there. 
but that's it. And so it's frustrating because I see people working longer hours and it takes a toll on their life and their family and all these sorts of things. And I don't think it's because there's more work to actually do. I think the amount of work stays pretty constant. I think what, what happens though is that people don't have the time to do the work anymore. And that frustrates me that people have to then chip away at life to make up for the stuff that work screws you over on. Right, because you talk about a few things. You you talk work, you say that 40 hours is plenty enough to get a job done. Consequently, that sense that we, we need to work longer and into weekends. And you think that's just because work's figured wrong, configured wrong. Is that right? I do. I mean, I think... And lately, you know, I've been talking about 40-hour weeks, but I really want to actually bring it back to just eight-hour days because that's a more, like, it's a simpler concept. Eight hours is a lot of time. It's the amount of time it takes to fly from Chicago to Paris. That's a long time. And if you've ever been on a flight like that, you can be on it for, like, four hours, and you think you're kind of getting close. You look at your watch, you're like, holy shit, I've got four hours left, which means I can watch two movies or I can maybe read you know, 200 pages in a book or whatever it is. Like it's a lot of time. Eight hours is a huge amount of time. And even when people fly, they end up getting a lot of stuff done, like in a two or three hour flight that what they normally wouldn't be able to get done in a whole work, work day at work because of the interruption. So, um, I just think eight hours is enough time if you actually have eight hours to yourself. And that's what I believe companies and managers and owners should, should care about is making sure that their employees, um, have a full eight hours to themselves to actually get their work done because if they do they can get a ton of stuff done and then you add up you know five days at, at eight hours or 40 hours and that's enough you can go home and be rested and come back monday and do it again so i just think there's plenty of time there's ample time there's enough time if you squeeze out all the stuff that doesn't matter i saw you talking about something you've introduced no talk thursdays and it, it sort of struck me that a combination of what you're talking about there the idea of deep work and no talk thursdays I wondered to some extent if you're describing the perfect working world of, of introverts, would this work for everyone or is this construction deliberately designed for those who revel in time on their own? Well, I think it has to do with um, the type of work, you know, the nature of the work at some, at some level. Obviously, if you're, you know, working um, in an environment, like let's say you're, you're in sales or something and you're, you know, you're constantly on the phone and, you know, and, and you're, you're, you're not really involved in a in a job that requires for any individual piece of work an extended period of time like you might make 10 or 15 sales calls in a day or five or six whatever it is but you're kind of bouncing around between opportunities that's maybe a different job but i don't think introversion or extroversion has a lot to do with um the fundamental need to um have uninterrupted stretches of time in order to do creative work i just think you you need that i don't think great work is coming from people who have to bounce around, you know, in an hour and do four different things. Context switching is, is very costly. It's very difficult to do. It, and, and it just keeps shaving away at the margins. So, you know, you feel like you can, you can do four things in an hour, 15 minutes each. You don't really have 15 minutes each to do four things in an hour. You have, you know, maybe 10 minutes each because there's, there's, there's buffers at the edges and you've got to get back into the zone and all It's just, and by the way, that's not even enough time anyway. So I'm not sure if it's introversion or extroversion. I think the no talk Thursdays thing, like, hey, even if you're an extrovert, um, one one day a week or even one day a month where everyone's just quiet, like, just give it a shot. And you you might be surprised that you, you know, your extroversion or your extroverted tendencies might really appreciate just the ability to get down and get to work 
and there's plenty of other time to talk to people. So I don't know. It, it, I don't think it's one or the other. I do think in some ways, if you if you really had to put it on a scale, I do think it's slightly more advantageous for introverts. But I don't think that the fundamental basics are that are that different. So let's go into talking about remote work. And I think when I was reading remote, your opinion piece on that, what I was struck by is the the thing you talk about is the waste of time by commutes, the hours that we spend in these really unproductive times commuting. Why do you think so few companies have taken the step to challenge that? This seems like one easy economy that any company could make. And I'm just surprised so few companies are doing it. It's funny, isn't it? How, you know, you have a lot of innovative companies and companies that are always talking about disruption and this whole thing, yet they're like terrified to shatter the, you know, the basics of, 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 you know, how they work. Um, and it, it is odd to me. I mean, here's the thing though, it is hard to change to a remote working environment. Um, I think that, the companies that have a best shot at it, at it are ones that are starting up from that point of view versus ones that have, you know, 200 employees who've all worked locally forever. And all of a sudden they're going to hire their first remote employee like that doesn't work. Um, but I think you can you can ease into it by allowing people who normally come to the office to work from home one day a week or one day a month or something and begin to slowly ease into it and just see that, hey, the world that like the world's not going to come to an end. You know, the company's not going to go out of business if people work from home one day a week or one day a month or whatever it might be. And just start to become comfortable with that notion. Um, part of the problem, though, too, is that traditional managers, you know, a lot of them manage by walking around and feel like they need to see people in order to get the sense that they're actually working. But sitting or seeing somebody at a desk typing away or walking by their screen doesn't mean that they're working. All they're doing is sitting at a desk typing away at a screen. Like working, the, the output of work is what you can judge. And I think if someone's capable of doing that remotely, then they should be allowed to do it remotely. If they're incapable of it, that's a different story. But if they're capable of it, um, allowing them to work remotely, I think makes a lot of sense. To me, it's it's fundamentally about respect as well. So for example, I don't think as a business owner that I'm entitled to tell somebody basically where they can live their life, which is what most jobs are. They're, they are they, they sort of require you to be in a physical location. So if I want to go work for XYZ company, I have to go move to Boston to do it, for example, because they're based in Boston. You know, granted, you could say, well, just get another job, but it's not that easy sometimes. So you go to you go work somewhere and then let's say your husband or your wife or your partner or whatever, they need to move because wherever they need to go somewhere else for family reasons or, or even work or whatever. And you don't all of a sudden, like if you move with them, if you move with your family, if you move with your life, you may lose your job. That strikes me as really unfair. And, and so I feel like if anyone works for us and they want to go somewhere else, that's great. We can keep them. They can keep their job and everyone's happy versus saying, hey, you're, you're out of here because something else in your life has changed. I just don't see how why businesses feel like they have the right to dictate that. So much of this seems to be sort of, especially when a company's feeling weak or vulnerable, then control and just grasping onto the old fashioned legacies of control seems to be the critical thing. Because you mentioned, and it was in the news, a couple of years ago, Yahoo cancelled all of their remote working practices. You often hear that, don't you? In businesses that are trying to assert control over what's happening, remote working seems to be the first thing that goes. Yeah, you know, that's a great example. So Yahoo is a good example. And of course, look, the problem with Yahoo is not the remote workers. Let's just face that. Like the problem with Yahoo is Yahoo doesn't know who Yahoo is. They don't know what they're doing. Their company is all over the place. They've had a series of management changes and CEO change. Like the company is is, is rudderless. It's not that 3% or whatever it was of their workforce work remotely. That wasn't the problem. Twitter did another thing. When Twitter Twitter laid off a bunch of people, they primarily laid off significant numbers of the percentage of the people they laid off, I believe, were remote workers. 
it's it's a great and IBM recently did something too. They're they're struggling as well to to change in, into a different you know area subject matter basically into services more and more into services and I think they're struggling a bit and so they you know they they basically called everybody in as well. So I think it's typically not companies you see that are doing really well that that are that are causing everyone to come back in. It's companies like you said that something's wrong and so they they grasp and they feel like well the first step is to get everyone in the same room together and. You know, maybe that works for some. It's it's fair to say that for some it might work. I I just don't, I I don't see evidence of that actually panning out. Um, perhaps people will prove us wrong, and that's and if they do, that's great because it, like I mean, I'm I'm open to other points of view on this. It's just that, um, you're right. The patterns don't really necessarily suggest that these are, um, these are moves made made because the company is doing well. And that they'd be doing better. It's because something else is wrong, and they're they're looking for it. I know a lot of companies also, rather than having layoffs and announcing layoffs, they'll basically do this thing where they'll say, "Hey, you have to come work in the office, so we're not going to allow remote working," which allows people to basically quit or leave. And it's it's a, it's a different way of saying we're laying people off instead of it's like, "Well, we're not laying anybody off, but you have this choice: you either come or you go." And if you go, well, then you go. And they knew they'd lose, you know, 15% of their workforce that way, and they'd be happy to do it. It's a lot It's a lot softer to do that than lay people off. So there's a lot of other strategies at play here, unfortunately. It's interesting, isn't it? Because there's so much conservatism. The status quo just wins so often because when we come to the process of reinventing work, to change anything, you need to prove that not only are you equal to the current status quo in work, but you have to be better. The, the burden of proof is always on the, the reinventing party. And that's fair, by the way. I mean, I do think it's fair that like if you're going to say, hey, we used to do things this way and now, hey, I want everyone to do this things this way or let's say X way and Y way. Y is the new way. Like, it, you know, that is a leap of faith and I get it. Like and, and, you know, everyone has new ideas all the time, so we shouldn't be probably shifting the way we work constantly. But um, I think outright dismiss a lot of hand of new ideas in that in that regard. And also, there's there's plenty of evidence um, and, and great companies that work remotely, and so, th- and 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 do a variety of other things. So I, th- I think there's plenty of evidence out there to say like this. Some of these ideas are worth a shot. But here's the other thing: at the end of the day, it doesn't matter to me if other companies change. Like what matters to me is like how we run our business because that's all I have control over. And um, hopefully, what we're able to do is by sharing these ideas, is we're able to get other business owners. We're curious about running a better business or starting up a brand new business to give our way or, you know, it's not just our way, but it's a, a way we represent um, a shot. But I'm, I would not expect, you know, big corporations to 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 embrace what I'm talking about, nor, nor should they. they they're going to do their own thing. Um, so I'm not really out to save anybody or rescue anybody. In that sense, I'm out to share a point of view that hopefully other people who are getting started, who are small enough and, and eager and interested and willing to change can give it a shot. It seems like there's one concept to, to understand. It's this idea of asynchronous working, people not necessarily having to do the same job in the same place at the same time. And you talk about the first step to that is becoming ASAP free. Yeah. Do you want to explain that? Yeah, I think there's too much uh, real-time communication happening in, in companies these days, and it's getting worse and worse, and it's causing people to be more and more distracted and feel like they're missing out on conversations that are happening right now. And if they don't jump in right now, they won't be heard. And there's just sort of this 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 basically this this conveyor constant conveyor belt of conversation. And if you're not in it while well, it passes your station, then then you you miss out. It's like we're factory workers again, but with information this time. Um, so our our point of view is that. Real-time communication is handy occasionally when you really absolutely truly need it. 
Um, but in most cases, you're better off communicating asynchronously. So for us in Basecamp, that means posting messages or writing up comments on threads that are attached to something that stick around and don't move away from you when other conversations start. So um, uh, and that's just Basecamp, but email is another form of asynchronous communication. There's a variety of other ways to communicate synchronously. But the, the principle is, is that I'll write something down and you'll read it on your own time and you'll get back to me when you're ready to. Versus real-time communication is this assumption that there's going to be, if I say something, you're going to get back to me immediately. And there's a very distinctly different feel when a company is all real-time where everyone's just talking constantly and expecting immediate responses versus an asynchronous company where people write stuff up and other people will respond on their own time. Asynchronous-based communication is a much calmer uh, method. It also allows everyone to own and control their own schedule and their own time versus always being pulled away from what you're doing by someone else who wants an immediate response. The other thing that's nice about asynchronous is, is um, um, you know, a lot of people think that remote companies need to be real-time. They need to have all these real-time tools all the time. But actually, real-time is quite bad for remote companies that are spread across time zones. Because what it does is real-time communication across time zones extends everybody's workday because they feel like they have to be on, hey, if someone's two or three hours ahead and the only way we can talk is by is in real time, then I have to sort of stay a little bit longer so there's a little bit more overlap for us to have that one conversation that I need to have and that they need to have before I go off and they sign on, the whole thing. So the thing is with async, you just write something up and the next day you get a response and that's fine. And there's no feeling of like having to stay on until someone else's time overlaps. You just, things happen at night when some, someone else's night and your day or whatever it is. It's just a much calmer way of working and I think a much, much healthier way of working. When you're thinking about work, will, will it, do you think it'll look completely different in 10 years? Will these things be everywhere or will they be sort of unevenly distributed? Um, unevenly distributed, basically. I think there'll be some, um, just like always, I think there'll be some enlightened companies um, who are willing to give some of these new ideas a shot, um, and actually some of these old ideas a shot in a sense. Um, not all this stuff is new. It's just, it's, it's returned to common sense. Like, of course you can't get your work done if you're being interrupted nonstop. Like how, how could you, you know, th that's not a new idea. That's actually an old idea. Um, so I think there'll be a series of enlightened companies and, and some companies that function better than others who will be more willing to try this stuff. And then, um, uh, there will be other companies that are unwilling to. But I do think over time, more and more of these practices will become more common. So I think you'll have a better shot when new generations of companies come up and old generations of companies wind down. I think there will be a bit more of a change over time. Thanks to Jason. Now on, on to Deborah Ripple from Buffer. Deborah is the People Success Manager at Buffer. She previously worked at WeWork. Uh, Deborah's role is to set the team up and keep everyone motivated and on track at Buffer. So Buffer is a, a software company. She explains what they do. This could be easy, but Buffer don't have an office. So they work completely remotely. While they do have occasional team get-togethers, Deborah explained to me she's hired people she's never met in person. I don't know why I found that so surprising. I, I guess meeting people and, and their presence is just so what we regard as as making a judgment on them but uh, she, she's she's hired lots of people who she's never met Buffer is a fascinating organization it publishes a lot of its information you can find everyone's salary on their website for example i don't fully get the point of that specific honesty but their view is that things don't need to be secret and transparent leads to better outcomes Imagine if your salary was published. So, Deborah's the People Success Manager at Buffer. I chatted to her a couple of weeks ago. 
Deborah, thank you so much for talking to me. So to kick off, could you explain who Buffer are and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Buffer is a social media automation tool that makes it um, possible to save time and stay flexible and plan your online marketing strategy down to um, the very minute. Uh, and with Buffer, the idea is that you can post into the future so that the next two days or the next two weeks or the next two months even are taken care of, no matter where you happen to be. Um, and it's also a way to understand your social media presence and manage your customer support and do many things like that. I guess what's interesting is that uh, a lot of people know Buffer for the product, but we also sometimes not even known for a product, but more for a culture as a company. We are fully distributed and, and we care just as much about what we build as how we build it. Um, so my role as a people success manager at Buffer, um, I focus on uh, making Buffer an exciting place to grow and also um, doing hiring, which was originally when I uh, joined Buffer two years ago. That's what I started. Tell me this. A couple of things you hinted at along the way there. The first is that Buffer have no office or no HQ at least, do you? And and you sort of, you work in places, but not in a place together. Before we go into the culture of transparency and these other things that you've got, can, can you explain, is it a weird transition? Because you used to have an office. So how do you go from, we've got this office with a few people working remotely to actually, there is no office? Yeah, I guess that's, a, that's an interesting one. Honestly, it started as a, a bit of a circumstance thing. Um, in the earliest days of Buffer, um, Joel and Leo, they were both in the UK, but they didn't quite work um, together every day when they co-founded Buffer because they were just even a half hour apart and had other commitments. Um, and then when they when Buffer really kicked off and then they moved to San Francisco for six months to try and raise money, when they did, it just turns out they didn't have visas to stay there. So they had money, but they couldn't stay in the US. So they kind of... Um, flipped Google Maps and went ahead and, and uh, went to Hong Kong for six months. And uh, I think they went to maybe Israel for three months after that, which is super interesting because all they were all over the place and started being a remote company, just the two of them, and kind of grew a little bit from that to being six people. Then they moved back to San Francisco and then kind of had to make a bit of a tough decision there because they all wanted to be in San Francisco at that time, but also understood that talent could really come from anywhere. And they had to decide whether they were going to hire from everywhere or just San Francisco. And that's when they pondered it a lot, talked to team members and realized that remote was the way to go for them. So, um, yeah, decided to completely open. And, um, it was a bit of a sensitive decision as well because they were trying to hire at that time. So I had to think on the spot. And just now we have people from about 40-something cities and 16 countries in um, 11 time zones. So I said the transition has been more natural because we did have an office in San Francisco. We had it up until um, last year and completely closed it just because nobody was going. So it's just a matter of not having a this office. Some of the basic things I guess people in that situation might say, they might say, if someone requests a meeting at your offices, how do you get around that? Or, you know, if, if they want to meet on your territory, how do you get around that? Do you ever feel the sense that work feels, I don't know, less tangible? I'm not sure even how to articulate it. The, the idea that you, you get into work that almost works a place as well as a verb. Do you miss that? That's a really good question. I'd say it's more difficult for others than it is for us. So at least I'll just speak for myself. Um, I find that I can be in the zone and from the moment that I have headphones on and a computer in front of me, I can really be just about anywhere. If I have good Wi-Fi and a, and a coffee by my side, I can basically work from anywhere and I feel like I'm at work. Um, it's difficult for others to really see that, though. It's very often that, that you get maybe interrupted while you are on a call just because, you know, it, 
it's not obvious that you're actually working with something really important. So I, I don't really find that odd. I'd say what, something that does help, though, is having routines, regardless of where you are. So I think waking up at similar times every morning and, and things like that, that's to me what really makes it a little bit more tangible, maybe. So tell me this, I chatted to a professor of organisational behaviour and uh, he, he described something called geek exploitation, the idea that firms introduced foosball tables and allowed people to wear their own clothes, at, ultimately to make people work longer. And it blurred the distinction between real life and work. And to some extent, not having an office seems to do the same. Do you end up working an unhealthy amount or how do you achieve work-life balance when work and life look exactly the same? Yeah, I guess that can definitely happen if you don't pay attention. I'd say that's definitely a risk of uh, being entirely remote and, and having no offices and you know, working from home as well. Um, I'd say if you don't pay attention to that as an individual or as a company, that can be a little bit tricky. Uh, as an individual, I think paying attention is is maybe just not blurring the line too much on like, the other way around. So when I'm at home, and that's kind of a working hour. I try to avoid doing personal things. Like I'm going to sometimes like go out and do an errand of some sort, but I'll still like realize that any time that I take, if I stop now and go and do some laundry, then I, I know that that's time that I will want to like, make up for later in the evening when I might want to go and have a beer with friends. So I think it's a matter of just really kind of isolating a little bit your time and, and place. Um, and as a company, it is also a matter of showing that that's not your intention at all. So very often we have surveys within a team where we try to kind of, uh, um, gauge a little bit for happiness levels through different, kind of, uh, I guess, various ways. And one of them is we try to ask people, like, how many hours do you think you work um, a week? And we try to reduce that amount to a maximum. Like, we don't want people not to work, but we want people to work smarter, not harder. So. Um, I think because it's one of our values, people understand that that's what Buffer wants. You described somewhere else uh, the experience that you'd worked, recently spent six weeks working in Mexico. I mean, it sounded like a dream. So is this one of the freedoms you've got that if work's just a laptop and a pair of headphones, you can go and work in all these places and absorb life in different ways? Or was that just a one-off? No, I guess I try to do that quite regularly, but I think my intention has shifted Um in the last two years that I've been a buffer, I think I've actually been traveling less and less. And whenever I travel, I travel longer and longer. Um, so for me, really, the ability to travel would mean that I'm able to go and visit friends more often. So it's not about just taking the backpack and going to Thailand by myself and just hanging out there. I don't I personally don't, don't feel like that's what I need. But going and seeing friends and family more often that I spread across the world, that, that's super pleasant and, and really fulfilling so i really enjoy that part but then whenever the opportunity arises that kind of like discover a new city uh in a slightly different angle say mexico i actually really enjoyed mexico so much that i'm going back again um in october for a month so um it's it's super nice because you discover a place from a completely different angle that if you're on vacation um i tend to stay longer so that i can enjoy weekends and just kind of go weekends away maybe around the location i'm working from I just feel like it gives you a different view of, of the place. So it definitely gives a great opportunity for that. The one other thing I was interested in, your job's evolved now, but you used to be responsible for finding new talent, right? And I guess the, op- the opportunity for most people when they're finding talent is, right, you're in this city, you're in London, you're in Manchester, you're in Paris. You can limit the people to the amount of people in that city. But when the amount of people that you can do the, that can do the job for you are distributed all over the world, how do you even start? How do you... How do you start looking for people who can work in anywhere? I guess one thing that we're really lucky with um, with Buffer is that 
we have a lot of inbound applications. Right now, it is just very logical that a lot of applicants still come from where we have customers. It makes sense. That's where our audience is. So that's where people hear about us and eventually look for uh, jobs at Buffer. Um, so that's kind of the one aspect of it. But we have a lot of you know, kind of luck with that is that we don't have to look for everywhere in the world. We also have a lot of inbound, which makes it really nice. Um, I guess we try to gauge for the ability to work remotely and that doesn't only come from um, someone having work remotely. Sometimes it's just equally homecoming. We, like when we are able to gauge that someone's very driven and, and can just kind of like kick things off by themselves in the morning to get work done, that's more of a sign of a good remote person and anything else. So the ability to assess people remotely is something that I get asked a lot about because people just imagine that you have to have a face-to-face interview with someone to get to know them. But really, for us, we'll be working with them remotely every day. So if we're not able to gauge the way they communicate or if they're not able to show us their work through video calls and through written communication, then they're not going to be working well with Buffer, right? So Wow, right. I didn't even work that out. So you're hiring people that you've never met face-to-face, right? Mm-hmm. Wow, okay. I don't know why that didn't even occur to me. I presume that you'd go and meet them. Wow. So some of these people might be working in the remote corner of the world, but as long as they're doing their job, do you ever have difficult discussions when it's just not working out for them? Um, you mean after they join? Yeah. Yeah, I think we try to coach people. We try to gauge for that. And normally if our hiring process is working well, and if our, you know, we have what we call a boot camp at the beginning of it, um, someone's journey lasts for 45 days where we have that very intense period of feedback and back and forth and uh, just deep understanding of, of how things work usually um that's usually that's when um we figure that out if things aren't working for them remotely that's usually within those 45 days if things aren't going well from that perspective after that that'd be more something we try to coach people on and maybe coming from other areas i wouldn't say that we figure out that someone doesn't really handle working remotely super well um, a long time after they join, that would be more of a motivation problem. If their role is not fulfilling for them, then definitely that you could find that the motivation is lacking to get up and work. And that's not at all because they can't work remotely. One of the things I saw you describing when you were working remotely, so everyone's on different time zones or maybe, or maybe sort of working in different countries. And you talked in an interview I saw you give about communication becoming asynchronous. And actually, one of the phrases you used was, it says it here, communication becomes more intentional. That's interesting. What, what does that mean? Yeah, I guess intentional communication and kind of like asynchronous communication is, is what we found was one of the ways we could solve working remotely effectively. Basically, what we want is for teammates to be happy wherever they are. Um, so that means giving anyone in any time zone the opportunity to make decisions and the opportunity to communicate with others effectively. And so synchronous communication for that doesn't quite work well. So if you have a, a cluster of people that are all in the New York time zone, for example, you'd have a tendency to have communication on Slack and back and forth. And then, boom, a decision is made. Someone in France or Singapore wakes up and then all of a sudden they don't really have their say in, in what's going on. So that's one of the things that we were trying to solve is to really make everyone happy from, from wherever they are at Buffer. And I think we have a few values that help us with that intentional communication. One of them is that taking time to reflect it means that we're intentional about bringing constructive feedback in discussions and really polishing things when they are presented. So trying to think about many different cases ahead of, of what we're um, trying to present. Then another one is um, choose positivity. It's it's a funny one because really when 
you realize that you have different energy levels throughout the day. You also realize you have a lot of empathy when communicating. So say if I'm in Paris and my day is ending, it's 6 or 7 p.m. and things are slowing down and my energy level is really low and I need help from someone at Buffer, then I'd message uh, a teammate. But if they are in San Francisco and they're just waking up and my message is just a little bit off and maybe attacking or not very positive, then honestly, I could just ruin their day. It's not super nice. Um, so thinking ahead of, of things like that and maybe just because you're remote, you don't know what's going on in that person's life even more than when you're in an office. So just you know, being careful of, of things like that and being more intentional about what you write is is really key. Um, and I guess the, the last thing we communicate with clarity. So that's a really important value for us. Uh, we try to be as clear as possible, also to be efficient. If I'm going to write something and there's going to be a thousand back and forth on it, because nobody's really understood what I said in the first place. That's not efficient communication. We try to avoid things like, uh, what are your thoughts on this? When it's very, you know, open-ended questions like that, like in, you know, if you're 12 hour, if you have a 12 hour time zone difference with someone and just kind of chatting about that, you have to be more specific about what your question is if you want them to really answer it. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I've just read Cal Newport's deep work, and actually he talks, I don't know if he, he uses intentional, but I think it's along the same lines, to be more specific about what you want in an email, to avoid that sort of ping-pong of back and forth. One other thing I want to understand is that your culture is remarkably transparent. You publish loads of information about what people earn, what they do. Does that take getting used to it? I understand the remote working is a a way to let people live a complete life and be more fulfilled. But what's the reasoning behind the transparency? I think it has many, many folds. I'd say how empowering transparency is, is, is super important for Buffer and for its founders. And really early on, they realized that they could question many things. And so the idea was, why do we do that that way? And why not another way? It's I think it started originally with salaries being transparent. So we have all of our salaries um, open on, on our website. You can just go and check out anyone's pay at Buffer. Um, so internally and externally, it's transparent. And I think it started off with that, where the idea was maybe that could help others create their own salary grid. Um, we've got a salary formula. We think we pay people fairly. That why, why would we hide it kind of thing? Um, so at first, I think it kicked off to that. And then really we realized how empowering that was, you know, power of having information. Um, so then you can spread to our communication every day um, on Slack. We have all of our channels, most of our channels, I'd say 95% of our channels are um, open and public, like to ourselves within the team. But we have very few just kind of one-on-one conversations because um, we just realized that what you think might not be important for someone else could probably be and could be helping them chime in, give their thoughts and, and things like that. So. so through the transparency, and you publish a lot on your blog, I think in the last 12 months you've made, I think Buffer's been sort of pretty open and transparent that you've made job reductions. And there was a statement about one of the founders moving on, elements like that. And I ended up reflecting on whether your working style being like the definition of reasonable. And it seems like the most benign and considerate. And I ended up thinking, right, okay. But I wonder if the reason why sometimes work overachieves and achieves incredible breakout results is because it is unreasonable and maybe unreasonable work leads to unreasonable level results. I wonder, is your work a lifestyle business where people can live good, happy lives and achieve good results, but not incredible results? Is that right? Is, is that a wrong reading of the facts? 
No, I think it's a perfect reading of it. And that's absolutely the intention of the founders. Um, they really want teammates to stay for as long as they want to stay and not be forced out of you know, joining Buffer just because, say, they're moving places. Or it's, I think it really helps think ahead of what could work look like if we kind of took some of those boundaries out. And so some boundaries are physical boundaries, but also transparent and like hierarchy boundaries. Um, I think we are trying to help build the future of work. And I think our way of doing it, it's funny you describe it as, as reasonable because that's exactly how I see it. To me, it's it's just in a, not in a, in a crazy, let's just, um, you know, do stuff that will get us in the press kind of thing, but more in a considerate, like, why would we even do that in the first place? Um, can we test that out? Can we see if for a couple of months it works? We also try to publish things whether they're good or bad, because it's just easy to talk about your successes of like, wow, Sally formulas work and being transparent is amazing. But then if you're not able to talk about, wow, like, you know, things aren't working out here and here and we've had to lay people off and, and it's kind of useless. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I guess my interest is maybe that this is a wonderful place to work, but you wouldn't want to invest in it in the sense that maybe in the way that a company explosively grows when they sort of, they force everyone to work 70 hours a week till those people are done. Your work seems very sustainable. Like if a friend of mine asked me, should I go and work there? I'd say, I've heard so many wonderful things. You should definitely go there. And what I'm trying to work out is you've removed the unreasonable things and, and therefore maybe your growth as a company will be slower than other companies. I guess that's what I'm trying to get to the heart of. Yeah, absolutely. And that is a really good question and definitely at the heart of like many things that we chat about every day. So um, definitely a, a super interesting question there. I think that I would agree with you that, that we're not at all aiming at super fast growth. So if as an investor, someone wants to join the journey and, and invest in Buffer, uh, if we were to open more rounds or things like that, um, I'd say fast growth is not in our books and, and we were, wouldn't be a good place for that. We are super lucky that our investors and, and many people that would potentially and, you know, 
there's there's tons of that in the world these days. People that want to invest in more sustainable growth and sustainable businesses and in places that will make people happy to work for it and um and also that will make for happy customers in the long run, which is also super important. Um I think those would be more people that that we align with for sure. Tell me this, can people cope with leaving buffer? I'd have thought you've got such a considerate, balanced, flexible way of working. If you want to sleep in tomorrow because you're exhausted, then you can make up the time tomorrow night. And and Buffer let you do that. I can't imagine anyone wanting to go and work 95 somewhere else. What's happened to people who've left? Yeah, I guess um, I I cannot agree more. <laughs> That's a very tricky thing to do. I think that it's almost something to consider when you've got, you know, um, a people team and you're planning ahead for the years to come is, is figure out what, you know, what would happen in the case of someone not feeling like leaving, but really needing to leave or vice versa. Um, it's very tricky, I think, but not necessarily for the reasons that, that people would imagine to be fair, like, you know, the things you describe as people being very kind and considerate. I think those are the things that are in the long run, things that would keep you somewhere uh, not necessarily the perks or the, the remote life. So I, I wouldn't say the problem would be, going back to a 925 so much as going to a place where potentially you don't have that level of trust and care for teammates. I think the remote aspect is just one of the many ways you can show that you trust your teammates to do their best work every day and, and to be very driven individuals. And personally, at least, I could say that I would really struggle with going to a place that doesn't really trust that I'm going to do that by myself and that we need to be behind my back and just kind of watching that I'm doing it and if, if that needs to come with, you know, being in an office to make sure that you're doing your work, yeah, understandably, that would, that would potentially not agree with a lot of people. I'm fascinated. I'm very envious, actually. It sounds like the sort of enlightened place. I do wonder if some workplaces will never reach that level of flexibility and enlightenment. I think what I loved about your system is that what we've done with work over the last few years is just add more to it. We've had more, added more meetings, we've added more emails, we've added more demands upon people, but there's no, been no sort of reciprocation on that. There's been no freedom. If you've got all these emails, do them in your own time. And for me, I think you did something. There's, there's a blog post which shared some of the tools that you use to help you communicate asynchronously. And it's good just to see people demonstrating how they're trying to change the world and, and trying to change like day-to-day work. It felt so interesting. Amazing. Awesome. I really appreciate it. Thank you. So if you're interested in remote working, I don't think you'll get any better examples of it than Basecamp and Buffer. Fascinating organisations, really, that I think have pushed themselves and challenged themselves to reinvent work, to, to ask what would work like if we didn't have these rules. And it's fascinating to see it. I have to say, both of them sound perfectly, wonderfully delightful places to work. And, uh, you know, it's, while I'm not sure I could handle remote working myself, I just think the idea of how much we need to be in the office and challenging that is probably an interesting start point for all of us. Right, as a counterpoint. So I don't want to definitively help you decide your opinions on this. Next week, we've got Ben Wabber from Humanize. Now, Humanize is a company that sprung up from the work of Sandy Pentland at the MIT in Boston. And they've taken the task of trying to understand human dynamics, human physics, uh, as, as Sandy Pentland calls it. And they, they've, they've tried to understand that by the use of these small badges that track the engagement and the interactions between people. Ben has some fantastic and 
fascinating stats about remote working. I think you're going to find it an interesting scientific backup to this. Thrilled you could listen. You'll find all of the transcripts on the website. That's eatsleepworkrepeat.fm. You can link in to me. People regularly link in and give me their opinions. And you can also follow us on Twitter. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 